Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski. Here, as usual, with my favorite co-host, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Good. So, we're going to talk about a number of different things that are available to stream, a lot of good stuff that we like. We're going to start off with uh, a film that was has just been released in the last few days, and it's called Minari. Uh, written and directed by Lee Isaac Chung. It is, despite what the Golden Globe said, an American film, not a foreign language film. Uh, sorry, my bitterness uh, for them having it in the foreign language section and not really giving it any sort of nominations for other parts of the film, like you would any other American film, my bitterness is still here, despite, you know, despite what happened on the weekend. Um, anyway, so Minari is about a Korean family that takes over a farm in Arkansas. It's a film that's set in the 80s, um, but to me, it sort of felt like it was, um, it had an epic feel in many ways. And so the time period felt like, it, yeah, yes, it was the 80s, but it, it felt like it had a, more universality about it you know it was like a timeless this is a timeless story actually to me that's how it felt um so and the the details of this story it's like you know a specific family drama in a specific setting with specific circumstances but you know I'm going to use the word universality again it felt very familiar in terms of the way that the characters related to each other um, you know, some of the points of the drama, it's just, you know, people tr trying to understand each other, people trying to work to, within a family, even, you know, uh, the dynamic between a family, the dynamic be between a couple, uh, feeling like outsiders. And in this case, if you, if you were a Korean family in Arkansas, it, on a farm in the middle of nowhere, you're an outsider. It, it, so there's these spe specific examples of you know, trying to fit in with that community, but also sort of seeking a connection with other Korean families. Um, but the film spends most of its time inside this family. Uh, so I really loved what Steve Yoon, um, the star who played, he, he played the father. It's, it's a young family. So there's a young couple and their children, um, including, uh, you know, an adorable little boy who is, is quite mischievous and there's a rambunctious and, you know, um, and of course, and then the matriarch, the, the mother's grandma, the mother's mother comes in uh, to help them with babysitting because these two have to work outside jobs as well as work on the farm. Uh, so they have a, a lot of work to do. So that, so someone needs to take care of the kids. And that's when the fam family dynamic, I think, gets gets really interesting when you when it's the very youngest member of the family trying to relate to the very oldest member of the family. Um, uh, that's where a lot of the fun, the funny moments come from. But um, in terms of what Steve Yoon said, and, and this is something that I could relate to being someone, you know, from a family that didn't speak English. And so you had members of the family who spoke no English. And so I was, you know, you're, you're in one culture. A lot of us were in one culture. 
uh, the one of birth. And then we're in this other culture because this is where we live, Canada. And Steve Yoon said that um, the, the film was really about, it's not like you have a foot in two worlds. Like that's what people assume. It's like you have a foot in that, that community and a, a foot in you know this community or culture. It's more like there's a third world that you're, um, so that, you know, this is, this is what really rang true about it. And what particularly um, struck me about the film was, you know, it's so, it's heartfelt without being, um, without being um, sappy and syrup syrupy, you know, um, it's, it's rich, emotionally complex, uh, but it's, it's not just a family drama, it's a story of resilience. Um, it's, it's got this special sort of lyricism about it. Uh, so the, the reason it feels sort of timeless is also because of the way it's shot. It's shot in a way to, to bring out the lyricism of the time, of the place, uh, of the, the experience of the family on this particular land. And um, it, so it's, it's got this special quality to it. And I'll, and I'll just end what I'm going to say about it by saying that um, the thing that particularly ticked me off about the Golden Globes and, you know, perhaps other awards making, awards giving organizations not seeing this as an American film is the fact that I thought in terms of the, the experience of someone, you know, a family made up of people from an old country, people, you know, born here. Uh, it was as authentic as something like Moonstruck, which was about an Italian-American family. Um, and yet that film was, you know, much celebrated, much awarded, much lauded. And it, just because it had like the big stars of the day, I guess, and an A-list director. So to me, it was like, this film is no less authentic as an ex American, you know, an American experience of someone, you know, wanting to live the American dream. It's no less authentic than Moonstruck was. So that's my little diatribe about, well, so why couldn't this one be celebrated with awards? Well, so far, we don't know the Oscars yet, but so far. Yeah, Moon's, it's interesting because Moonstruck's a, a comparison that I didn't even think about. It's just that, um, you know- Watching this film, but no, no, it's, it's actually, it's an, a very apropos, um, comparison because although people look at moonstruck more from like a romantic comedy perspective it's still very much about the immigrant experience and you know this film shows that the american dream is something that is herald and everyone goes after but for many people specifically immigrants the american dream is not the the cookie cutter it's it's a lot of hardship and in this case especially with the awards the awards are essentially reinforcing the notion that america is is white in the sense that america you only speak english yes right? it's, yes it's like saying to be canadian you have to speak english well there's also the french language you know, there's yeah. also various indigenous dialects like there, you know, there's a lot more to America than this one thing. So I, I completely agree with you that the 
the Golden Globes, which has had serious problems on its own. Uh, yes, they had yeah, huge, huge problems. Huge yeah. mistake. Yeah. And, and then the notion that a film like this would only get nominated if it's in the foreign category. We saw that again with um, Parasite, where a lot of people didn't expect Parasite to be even nominated for Best Picture, let alone win, mm-hmm. because it's foreign. And, and cinema has always been about quality art, the message. So regardless of what language it's being told in, a powerful message is a powerful message. And I, I, I enjoyed this film. I, it's, it's funny, when I first saw this film, I didn't immediately love it like everyone else did because, um, you know, there was so much razor, but it's one that has nested in my brain. It is, and I think it's because it's such a calm, quiet film. You know, there's moments of great humor. Uh, the little boy that plays David, um, he's, he's a delight. His rambunctious interactions with his grandmother, um, the, the character of Sunja, are, are heartwarming. Some of them are really mischievous. Yes. One scene in particular I'm not going to talk about, but I felt he should have been punished far worse than uh, <laughs> what his grandmother advocated for. But at the end of the day, they, they create a really interesting family dynamic. You see the struggle, the, the, the stress that wanting to make this farm a success. Yes. How it weighs on Stephen Yoon's character, Jacob, and it, it causes a huge rift with his wife. Um, and then also you have, as you said, they are essentially outsiders. They're Koreans in the quote-unquote heartland of, of America trying to build a farm in a very religious community. And not to say that you know, they're not religious themselves. They are, but they are dealing with a community that looks at them as outsiders and ask them really insulting questions out of basic curiosity. And then you also have, I think it was Will Patton who plays um, this individual that helps Stephen oh, yes, with that, his, his farm, but farm he's and, also and, yeah. very religious to the point where he, every Sunday bears a cross and, you know, carries it down to evoke the, the struggle that Jesus went through. And even in that community, he's considered, a, a weirdo an outsider for you know so there's various layers to that community and it's 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 a wonderful film that really highlights the american dream and how flawed it is how hard it is to achieve and how very few people are successful in it mm-hmm. absolutely and i i see this you know as a very um a film that i think it's a very rich film so i think uh this is I'm going to go back to the example of Moonstruck. Moonstruck is something, you know, I was having a conversation or maybe it was a social media post where it's like, what is the comfort film you go to? Um, And so I've seen Moonstruck like a million times. Um, And I will point out though, as in this, as in Minari, there is a a wild kind of grandparent figure, wild as in, you know, um, quirky, very, very, very quirky. Uh, the experience with this grandparent and, you know, um, is very funny. But anyway, it, it has become a beloved classic. And uh, watching Minari, I knew that I would happily watch this again and again, you know, that it would be part of my sort of group of, of comfort movies that I watch. It's, it, you know, it's not like this is a comedy. This is not a comedy like Moonstruck was. Moonstruck was more of like a parody, but but in in any way that like the heartfelt 
part of this film just um it, it still is in the end it gives you like this heartwarming feeling at the end that that leaves you thinking this was a good experience and it, yeah and uh yeah so that's why i could see it myself anyway watching this over and over again so we looks like we highly recommend minari which mm. is yeah it's available on demand right now yep that's a it's a good one yeah and you saw some will, stuff yeah i saw some stuff and i'll keep with the 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 asian experience for a little bit to talk about the new disney animation studios film um raya and the or sorry raya and the last dragon and it's a film that uh, is directed by Don Hall and Carlos Lopez Estrada. And we actually discussed um, Carlos Lopez Estrada's, one of his other films that played at TIFF Next Wave called Summertime. Um, oh, a yeah. Few weeks back. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I believe this is his first foray into animation, but it's a primarily Asian cast. It's uh, So in this magical land, the plague has turned everyone into both humans and dragons into stone. And the only way that it was stopped is that this dragon by the name of Sisu created this magical gem or used this magical gem to ward off the evil. And in doing so, Sisu apparently disappeared for, for centuries, but left behind this gem. So Rhea's people, um, I, I, they're known as the, the heartland of Kuman. Kumandra were placed in charge of keeping the gem safe, which caused the other four or five regions that made up Kumandra to get jealous because they felt that if you have such a powerful device, you were probably benefiting from it. And it caused a huge rift in society. So as this film begins, we see that Rhea has been trained by her father to be one of the protectors. And while she's a little leery of all the other fractions of the region, her dad really wants to unite. He sees that the world is, is broken. And the only way that everything can be fixed is if people of different opinions and different views come together and, and try and live harmoniously. Of course, his good intentions backfire. Um, one of the tribes tries to steal the gem, which causes the gem to break into five pieces, at which point each person from a different region grabs one of the pieces and takes off. And the plague essentially reemerges. So as the film really starts to kick into gear, Raya is on a quest to get all the fragmented pieces back and also to find Sisu, if Sisu still exists, to try and save mankind. So it's really an adventure tale in the sense of, uh, in the vein of like Indiana Jones, where she goes from place to place, has to... I guess she goes from place to place trying to outwit individuals and navigate various obstacles. But along the way, she also meets several people that kind of form her like ragtag band of, of, of followers, if you will. So it's, it's really um, an engaging film. The animation is wonderful. My biggest complaint with it is it is not subtle whatsoever like the the allusions to the world today and especially uh, america today as a divided land like they, they use the word trust almost every other sentence 
you know, it gets to the point where even for, for a kid's film, it really beats the symbolism over the head. So that's, you know, a, a, a down note for me personally. But the animation, the action, the humor are so entertaining that I'm willing to over, overlook that. And, you know, you, you've got a really great female character who is strong, funny. Uh, there's, there's a lot of interesting characters in this film that, that make the adventure worth it. That sounds good. Yeah, and it drops on Disney Plus as part of their premium access on uh, Friday, March 5th. Ah, okay, so, so just coming up. Yeah, and if and for those of you who may not want to pay the premium price, um, I would still recommend seeing it, but you could also wait a few months because usually Disney will have the premium access and then they'll release it to Disney Plus as a regular um, title a few months a few months later. So those who really want to see it, you know, it's, it's worth the money, but if you want, if you'd rather wait, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. Now, also to continue the family theme, there's another, uh, there's another animation yes. that you would recommend. Um, I would recommend, oh, sorry, I made an assumption. <laughs> no, no, I would recommend if you're a fan of this show and the movie I saw, which is now on Blu-ray is SpongeBob, the movie, sponge on the run which i believe is maybe the third or fourth spongebob movie i've lost track of of all these uh titles and you know i will say that my my kids absolutely love it because they watch spongebob almost daily um for adults you know there's there's better there's better options but the premise of sponge on the run is essentially spongebob's beloved pet snail gary is kidnapped um there's a a vain prince that lives in the lost city of um atlantic city and he's uses atlantic city is lost wait a minute i don't follow spongebob so wait a minute atlantic city is lost yes there's a lost city of atlantic city as as oh no in this film and it's essentially um, you know, Atlantic City, Vegas. It's a very flashy land, but it's ruled by this vain prince who uses snail slime. I'm forgetting the proper terminology as like a youth agent. Like it's his. He uses as his part of his skin cream regiment. <laughs> so much of the film is SpongeBob and his best friend Patrick traveling all the way to the lost city of Atlantic City to get. Gary back and along the way they stop in various parts including this kind of western town where they meet this magical tumbleweed and when you realize when the tumbleweed turns over it's the face of Keanu Reeves so it's like (laughs) the live action component and he's the wide sage that gives them advice on it's it's a Spongebob movie (laughs) that's all I can say it's silly with with the face of Keanu Reeves (laughs) Yeah, Keanu Reeves is in it. Um, I think Snoop Dogg makes an appearance. There's, uh, again, to tie in with Raya and the Last Dragon, the the dragon in um, that film is voiced by Aquafina. Oh, yeah. And Aquafina is the voice of a character in this film as well. So those looking for an Aquafina double bill, there you go right there. Um, It's, you know, it's, it's charming at times. It's really silly. I wish that the the villain the vain prince they had given a little more depth to because mm-hmm. he's never quite as villainous and 
the film is very much a a nod to friendship and talking about how you could you know friends are great and uh, ignoring each other's differences it's a good kids film no (laughs) again kids will love this film but as an adult if if raya and the last dragon um beat you over the head with its symbolism this one you kind of wish for more depth in its symbolism (laughs) so you know it's the two edges of this of the spectrum so you know it's out on blu-ray there's tons of special features for it um i think it's also available on demand for for those who aren't into physical media any further but again kids will love it so that's all that really matters if you're looking for an hour and a half way to entertain them wow okay that sounds good Uh yeah and the, the last one i will bring up um is far more dramatic this is one yeah for, you're really swinging adults. to a to a different realm in this one you're going well on this on this show we give you a bit of everything a little (laughs) something for for everyone so uh i'll talk briefly about judas and the black messiah uh it's a new film from shaka king and it basically talks about the death of fred hampton and how um, the black panthers the, the black panthers was and especially his chicago chapter was infiltrated by Bill O'Neill, who was a basically a car thief who gets arrested. And as part of his um, plea deal not to go to jail, he has to work as an informant for the FBI. Um, So you have Lakeith Stanfield playing um, William O'Neill, Bill O'Neill, and Daniel Kalula playing Fred Hampton. So it it really is the Fred Hampton story, um, or you could argue the William O'Neill story, but just how these two men interact and how the FBI worked hard to bring down the Black Panthers. Um, it's a film that I didn't like as, as much as other people did, but I will- It was a big hit prep- at, uh, right? It was a big hit at Sundance. Yeah, it was a big hit at Sundance. Critics are loving it, and I can see why. Uh, the performances are, are outstanding. Uh, Daniel Kalula and Lakeith Stanfield are, are just phenomenal. Um, you have Jesse Plemons, who is playing Roy Mitchell, the FBI agent that uh, recruited William O'Neill. And they are, from top down, the cast is is wonderful. Um, Daniel Kalula gives some of Fred Hampton's speech, like just an extra vigor. Um, you know, it, it works the, visually. Um, what she, Shaka King does with this film is is wonderful. Like he's clearly a distinct voice in terms of the style. Um, there's some moments in it where just the angles, the look, the color, it all works. And I really, really want to love this film. Uh, but my problem with it is I found the the plotting messy. It's a film that for me, Fred Hampton essentially becomes both figuratively and literally a a passenger in this story um, because the film wants to bring in so many key moments of that era, especially in Chicago with the Black Panther movement, that it kind of loses sight of its two leads. So instead of really diving into Fred Hampton, the man, or William O'Neill, the man, the film has to kind of set up these other events with these side characters who, although these events did happen in real life, it makes it a little jumbled. Um, the, it takes away from the impact of the, the central story. 
so that's where I, I really struggled with, with this film. Cause again, there's, there's much to like, and I can see why it's like a 93%, 95% approval rating at Rotten Tomatoes, why people are, are falling head over heels for it. But I think if you know anything about the Fred Hampton story, you're going to walk away a little disappointed um, because they don't really delve into him outside of he was a charismatic figure because Fred Hampton died at the age of 21 when he was when he was murdered by the by the police. And you don't really get that sense of a young man who achieved so much in his short span of life. Right. Um, so I, I guess for outsiders who are coming in, I think they will be wowed by this film. But my question for for all those viewers is ask yourself after how much did you really learn about Fred Hampton? How much did you really learn about William O'Neill? And then, you know, you could, I guess you could gauge whether or not the film is success based off of your own right. personal views. So for me, it was an interesting film. Um, it just, it didn't hit the way I wanted to. And I found that because of them trying to put in so many key events, so, it so, makes the time. Sorry. It, but it, so it's like, it was just, trying to put all the like the whole story together was so hell-bent on the story of everything that happened between the black panthers and the fbi that i forgot i forgot to focus on the two the two main people yeah I, I would even argue that it's not even so much the fbi uh versus the panthers i think it it's it focuses a little too much on things that happen to the Panthers, right? Like it, it tries to really rush through a, a vast period of time. Right. Um, okay. I get it. Yeah. So, so it, it really is choppy. So for example, women played a huge role in the black Panthers um, at, at its height. The black Panthers was like 60% women, even though there was a lot of sexism, what have you, the women in this film get reduced to, the love interest, um, Deborah Johnson, who was Fred Hampton's partner, or there's another character who was a really cool um, kind of badass type character, but she doesn't really give him that much to do, right? So women are essentially pushed to the sidelines in this story. The FBI is menacing, but it doesn't really fully go into the full depth of the tactics that they did when they had the, um, the Contel Pro stuff like it hints at them planting fake pamphlets you know they talk about having additional informants that were in there but the fbi did a lot of really bad things during the civil rights movement of that era yeah and it doesn't really touch on that as much as it should so because they want to you know reference a, a key event where there's a shootout with the cops and then the for example the panthers headquarters gets burned down by those same police officers um like stuff on like that which yes it did happen but in the grand scheme of things it kind of takes those moments take away from the fred hampton and o'neill story right so i just felt like there's so much that they try to cram in whereas you could have easily told this film and really focused on the two main men and then also focused a bit on how their relationship is um evolving as as you have the fbi trying to pull the strings as well and i i just think it it tries to bite off a lot mm -hmm. and in doing so i still walked away 
kind of hungry for more and a little more focus. Wow. Yeah. That's an interesting analysis. Yeah. And uh, can't wait to see it. Yeah. It's, it's what I still say people should see for themselves. It's just maybe because I'm coming in from a perspective where I knew a little bit more about this, you know, what you're saying is making me feel better about not wanting to spend the premium price to rent the film. Mm. I mean, it's, it's not that I'm like, I don't feel like the film doesn't deserve my money. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's a pandemic. And like, do we really all have that much money? You know, it's a matter of circumstances, right? So for those of us who, yeah, who don't have that, that amount of money, um, hearing that, hearing your review and, and anyway, it's going to give me a, a lot to think about. Yeah, when I it's do one see that you it, when wait. the price drops, right? Yeah, that's what I was about to say. When you, it's one that you know, don't feel bad if if you have to wait for the price to drop because even though a lot of these things are coming out on like on demand or premium access, you also have to factor in each person's financial situation. Um, you know, the on demand, like for the kids' films, I'm a little more willing to do because I think of the price of taking a family to of four to the theaters, right? just the admission alone is cheaper than the um, the on-demand price. But that works for me. If I was by myself, if I was a single person, I don't know if I would have dropped that amount of money for a film. You know, it's... So again, don't feel bad about that. Base, listeners, go based off of your own financial circumstances. But even if you have to wait a bit and watch it when it's cheaper, that might even be a more rewarding experience. Yeah. You know, but I mean... Of, oh, I spent that. Yeah, but I'm dying to see Daniel Kaluuya's performance. I I always enjoy his work. Like he's just mm-hmm. he's brilliant. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's Oscar nominations. Let's for, hope for so. Them. Let's hope the Oscars yeah. do something to make up for these. I'm sorry, I'm just going on about those Golden Globes again. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's time. So I think I think we have a lot of recommendations this week. Yeah, a lot for for people to to dive into and enjoy at various levels. Okay, so that's it for Frameline for this week. Thanks for listening.